Welcome back to Chasing Sustainability, a podcast that talks to people across all fields of work about business, sustainability, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Isabella and Melissa, and today we are talking to Fernanda Tomaselli. Fernanda is a lecturer in the UBC Faculty of Forestry and is incredibly passionate about conservation, global sustainability challenges, and exploring effective ways of communicating sustainability concepts to the broader population. We are excited to hear about her extensive knowledge and experience in these fields, and we hope you enjoy the episode. We are here today with Fernanda Tomaselli. Thank you for joining us today. And could you start with telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Fernanda Tomaselli and I'm a lecturer in the Faculty of Forestry at UBC. So I have been teaching in this faculty for about four or five years. I did my PhD also here at UBC. Um, Yeah, I am from Ecuador. uh, So my native language is Spanish. And I, uh, yeah, I, will, I think I will talk a little bit more today about, uh, slightly about my, some of my experiences back there in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for inviting me. <laughs> awesome. So you did mention you're currently a lecturer in the Faculty of Forestry, and you are my current Intro to Conservation professor this semester. I have to say I love this course so much. It's like a good balance with my business intensive courses. Um, so yeah, could you tell us a little bit about your experience teaching at UBC? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you are enjoying the yeah. class. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, teach at the undergraduate level um, in the Faculty of Forestry mostly. So I teach in first and second years. So one of my um, classes that I really like is a first year class. It's for the faculties of Forestry and Land and Food Systems, and it's called the Lang One Integrative Seminar. So it's basically one class in the Lang in UBC's Lang One program that integrate different classes that students are taking. And the focus of the class is on sustainability, climate change, uh, food security, uh, land use change. So the idea is to give students like real life examples of things that are actually happening in the world and how the subjects that they are seeing at UBC in their first year somewhat connect to these real life issues. So it's just to get them engaged mm-hmm. in what their careers can look like. So that's first year and it's a full year class and it's about 50 students. And then I teach in the Faculty of Forestry second year courses. So I teach uh, COMS 200 and it's Foundations of Conservation. And this is an introduction to conservation and sustainability in general. Um, I do give examples from Canada, but it, it takes a global perspective as well. So we bring examples from across the globe. And it's a good, I think, a good introduction to sustainability, potentially. And then I also teach comes to 10, that it's visualizing climate change. So that class um, is not a science class. It gives an overview of the science of climate change, but it's more definitely like a social science and more communications class Mm -hmm. to some extent. Uh, And it's this introduction to climate change, to climate policies, mitigation, to climate behaviors, and even climate psychology. All the assignments in the class are related to communication. So students have actually, they, they have to develop something yeah. tangible. So they do a blog post, an infographic, and the final assignment is a podcast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the students like it. Yeah. 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 
like it. It's a, it's a I think, an engaging class. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's similar to the course I'm taking, the Cons 200. Mm-hmm. We have to write a Wikipedia page. <laughs> and I really like that because, like, that's something that's so tangible and, like, forces us to actually, like, think about how we can spread information and awareness um, effectively. Absolutely. And these are like public documents, like the, yeah. wiki, uh, the UBC wiki is like public. So we hope, you know, to share this information with the UBC community and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think these courses are so good for students in any faculty, especially in business, if like you care about sustainability, because this gives like a very holistic picture of all the topics related to it. Absolutely. And I think pretty much all of my courses have this global slash international perspective and they have no prerequisites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like you said, it's not like science courses, like anyone can mm-hmm. take it, which is yep. great. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, so you're also a researcher on uh, outside of like your lecturing. So could you speak a little bit about one of your favorite or like most recent research projects? So I am hoping to start soon uh, on a research about educate like sustainability education at UBC. Like I haven't done it yet, but my goal is to see. So UBC has a goal that all or most students have access, and I think that they actually take some sustainability education when they're at UBC. So that's part of the. UBC, I think it's a strategic plan on sustainability. So one of what I would love to do is to evaluate uh, how UBC is doing in this goal and also to see how different departments and faculties are doing. And Mm -hmm. my assumption is that some faculties and departments are doing it very well, like probably integrating sustainability across the curriculum in many classes in many programs and that there may be other faculties that need more support Mm -hmm. so my goal is to do this you know broad assessment of how we're doing and areas where we can improve to give students access to Mm -hmm. sustainability education and yeah throughout their careers yeah yeah so that's hopefully it will be (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like what what does the research process process kind of look like like in terms of like how do you speak with the other faculties to figure out how well they're doing like how does that look right So I like I would still need to design that, but my idea would be potentially to connect with other professors, or even like depending on the methods that we use to reach out to students in those faculties. Um, so we could use surveys, or we could do focus groups, for example, um, and reach out to different uh, students. So just to do sort of a comparative analysis on you know how they perceive the education they are receiving. Another way could be to you know access curriculum and things like that. But I think at first what I'm interested very interested is on student perceptions of their education and even if whether they feel they need more of the sustainability education in their year, years at UBC. Yeah, and I like my plan would potentially be to apply. There's a number of uh, grants related to education and educational leadership, so potentially to apply to some of these grants at UBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but every all of this is just some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has been done, and it's you know yeah. So hopefully it will happen soon. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, another area of your research is in sustainability and climate communication. And so as business students, a huge part of our job is to be able to communicate effectively what we care about or what we're fighting for. So how do you suggest students frame our messaging effectively? Yeah, so there's a number of tips like from the climate literature. So 
I guess one of the basic tips on communication, like if you can, is like tailor your message. So in climate change research and climate change communication, uh, there has been quite a bit of research that has tried to uh, set, like identify different audiences in relation to their climate perceptions. So you on this research, you have people that are like very alarmed on one extreme versus people that are like not concerned at all and actually denying that climate change is happening. And then you have, you know, different segments that are in between. So one of the advices, depending on to whom you want to communicate, is to tailor your message. Like what we are seeing is that different messages work in different ways with different audiences. So if you are uh, working with an audience that is already very alarmed about climate change, you likely need a different strategy than if you would communicate with, you know, a climate denier. Yeah, so I think the first thing is, who is your audience? And what do you want to communicate? And then there is a quite a bit of research that gives suggestions on, you know, how to communicate to each of these audiences. So, uh, for example, one of those is to appeal to people's values. So what do these audience or this group of people that you want to communicate with care about? And then you frame climate issues in relation to that value. Um, for example, um, climate change has usually been framed as an environmental issue. And rightly so, right? Like the impact on ecosystems, impact on species. But really, climate change is a health issue, it's a safety issue, it's a national security issue. You can frame it with so many different lenses. So one of the advices from the literature is also emphasize these co-benefits that people care about. Like it doesn't always have to be about the environment, right? Or polar bears. It can be actually about your health and how, you know, if we mitigate climate change, we may become healthier, we may have less uh, tropical diseases around the world, etc. So I think emphasizing the co-benefits of mitigation is something really important. Um, yeah, and then make it local and relevant to individuals and communities. So we have a professor here, Dr. Stephen Shepard. He has worked quite a lot with climate change and climate visualization. And he always talks about make it local, make it relevant to those communities. Again, we have tended to frame climate change like it is a global issue, we frame it globally, rightly yeah. so. But in terms of impacts, we usually focus on, oh, you know, in the Arctic, polar bears, like far away from where we live. And he says, no, no, actually, we should bring it to people's own communities and show them how they will be affected and how they can also be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's I think, a, a, a quick summary of some ways to communicate. And the last one, that also Dr. Shepard works a lot, is using visuals. So visual information can be very effective for communicating. So one example, using infographics, Mm -hmm. where you communicate something effectively, quickly, and in a very simple way. But engagingly, you make it engaging. Yeah. Amazing. And I feel like that segues really well to our next question, which is related to what we're learning in CONS 200 right now, which is on ecological economics. Mm -hmm. So I guess for business students, we should frame our messaging around like maybe the economical impacts, Mm -hmm. the ecological impacts on the economy or businesses. So I was wondering if you could speak more about ecological economics and why you think it isn't as widespread or why it's so important and should be talked about. Yeah, so um, I'm very passionate, as Melissa knows, (laughs) about ecological economics. So my doctoral research was focused on uh, ecological economics and how people perceive topics related 
related to ecological economics and also the communication of ecological economics. So ecological economics, first of all, it's an heterodox field, meaning there are different perspectives, like not everyone agrees, which is good. The ecological economics that I usually take is the one promoted by Herman Daly that is known as the father of ecological economics. And the ecological economics, um, from Daly's uh, work is it challenges some of the key assumptions of mainstream economics. So I think that's why you probably don't learn about it in economics departments and maybe even in you know business schools because it, it, it really challenges some of the fundamental assumptions. Mm-hmm. So what is one of the assumptions that it challenges? It's the, the role and the um, is the role of economic growth and also the possibilities of having indefinite GDP growth. So uh, Herman Daly and many ecological economists would question, like, is economic growth a goal? Or should it be a goal of our economies? Should it be the goal for all of our economies? Should we grow forever? When should we grow? When should we stop growing? Should some nations grow? Should others not? Right. Also, they try to do a lot of work highlighting the costs of economic growth. So in general, when we talk about GDP growth or economic economic growth in general, we talk usually about the benefits, right? We believe that, oh my God, like we are growing and that's amazing. But there are costs to economic growth and and they usually come as environmental degradation and there are many other costs. So many ecological economists work in making these costs more visible. And Herman Daly even talked about uneconomic growth, meaning that growth can actually make us poorer rather than richer in the long term. And how is that possible? It's because our current account, GDP, doesn't include environmental destruction, for example, in how it's calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, GDP usually aggregates costs and benefits in the same account. So if you would actually disaggregate yeah. the costs and the benefits, you will potentially see that, oh my God, we are not really benefiting from so much more growth, especially in countries that are already very wealthy. So yeah, so ecological economics challenges that assumption and also challenges the assumption that it is possible to grow forever in a finite planet. And many of them would argue like it is not possible, like we eventually should move into what they call steady state economics, or some people even have suggested sustainable degrowth, like how to shrink these huge economies to a level in which it is sustainable. But these topics, of course, are, are you know, they do challenge key assumptions of our society. So they are hard topics to discuss. And also, I don't think anyone knows how we would do it. Like if we actually decide that, okay, we are going to stop growth. It is, it is tricky because our economy is designed for growth. So it's not like you can, oh, we will stop growing and it's fine. Like, no, you probably would have to think about employment and all of the other consequences that can come with no growth. <laughs> so it is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. difficult topic for yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, the journal, there's a journal called Ecological Economics. It is very well read. But in terms of the academia and um, the curriculum, especially in North America, it is very hard to find classes on ecological economics. Like if you would actually Google it, it's like, I think the University of Vermont probably offers, they actually offer, uh, or they used to offer a program, but it's hard. If you would go to Europe, it's a different story. There are way more offerings in different countries, uh, especially masters on ecological economics. But in North America, it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's so fascinating because it sounds like such an important 
course and such an important topic that we should be talking about, especially in business school, especially in economics. But that's crazy that we don't talk about yeah. it and that there's not even a lot of people who are studying it. So I think it's really great that you are so passionate about it. And hopefully we can make this become more widespread. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And encourage yeah. people to learn about ecology. I completely agree with you. Like I think even if some people don't agree with yeah. the premises or the evidence for ecological economics, it's okay. But I think we, we need, you know, to know about it and to learn about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there is a lot of research going on in mm-hmm. ecological economics. Like what I think is missing significantly is its presence in the curriculum in universities, especially mm-hmm. in North America. Like Europe is definitely doing a better job than us, but here it's, it's yeah, it's, it's lacking. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because in commerce courses, especially, we're all <clears throat> required to like take econ classes. Um, but a lot of us also want to go outside into like international like we go study in Europe or in other places so it's interesting to see that although we don't have it here once you move out of North America you're going to see these concepts that maybe you haven't really studied before so it's a good way to kind of start looking into it now and I have received like so many emails from students asking like can I learn ecological economics is there a class do you have programs and I'm like I'm so sorry like we don't like so far we don't and I definitely think you know we in my opinion very biased (laughs) we should change that (laughs) yeah our econ courses they're very like traditional we just learn about GDP it's all about growth always growth Mm -hmm. we don't talk about extra externalities mm-hmm. well we do but we don't actually learn how to how do we value and evaluate those externalities mm-hmm. and include them into GDP mm-hmm. and like when I was taking econ last semester I was definitely thinking about it like okay we're learning about externalities but what are we doing about it mm-hmm. so I think it's important that we should talk Absolutely. about this something that I find fascinating about ecological economics is that in its worldview like the mm-hmm. pre-analytical vision of it it includes the environment so it's like in its in the if you would have to visualize ecological economics, it's like the economy in its bubble within society and society within the ecosphere. So in ecological economics, it's almost impossible not to mention the environment because the basic understanding is that everything, all the resources that we have come from that ecosphere and all the waste that we put into the environment is goes to that ecosphere. So uh, it's almost impossible to ignore the environment. Yeah. And I think it, it is the way it, it should be because yeah. the economy is embedded yeah. in the ecosphere. It's not independent, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is a good segue into our next question. So we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but how do you think learning about conservation and sustainability is relevant and important in a business setting? And do you think it's going to become as you know popular and well-known as like finance and marketing in the near future? So in my opinion, again, I'm my biased opinion. So I think businesses have a huge, huge, like I don't think the role, the, the huge role that they have, I, I don't think it can be emphasized enough. Mm-hmm. Like, when I met Melissa, I was like, she was like, I'm in business and I'm like, amazing, that's great. We need people in business to actually embed sustainability. So I think businesses have a huge role, okay? That, like that's, I think, the first thing in shaping the world. They currently shape the world in different ways and they have a huge role in shaping the world of the future, for sure. And however, I don't think sustainability should be a sector of business. In my view, it should be embedded in what business do. Same with the, the economy. 
sustainability should be embedded in what the economy do does all the time. And I think with sustainability is the same. If you go into finance, you definitely need to include, you know, uh, ecosystem services, green finance like that, in my opinion, should be embedded. It shouldn't be a sector mm-hmm. of business, if that makes sense. Yes. If you work in marketing, you should consider what's the impact, how, how this business, what's the impact on the environment and how it contributes to create a better world yeah. overall. So I think those environmental and social goals mm-hmm. should be embedded within the business. It should not be a sector. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. I, like that's how, how I would envision if you would ask me, what's your vision of you know, this <laughs> utopic sustainable world. society? Mm-hmm. It's that one, that business, yeah, like they care probably about their profits for sure, but that sustainability and social goals are embedded in the mission of this business. Mm-hmm. All businesses, yes, not only some. Yeah, perfect. So, how do you think students can kind of like prepare or promote this kind of shift in the focus to kind of have sustainability embedded into the missions of the companies? So, the first thing would be students need to learn this. Mm -hmm. I hear we come back to the same topic that we talked before. So, education. So, I think students have a lot of power. I mean, you if you feel that you know there's some education lacking and that you could benefit from more sustainability education, for example, I think you can demand those changes and ask for those changes Mm -hmm. in the curriculum. Or, for example, econ, like how economics is taught, like it could probably change. As educators, like who in my my case, and I think in the case of many of my colleagues, we're always asking ourselves, how can we change our classes? How can we improve our classes? How can we improve student learning? How can we be up to date with what is happening in the world? Mm-hmm. So absolutely fine. Like some classes may need to change how they are taught. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's totally fine. And I think that's as educators, we should actually make those changes. So I think as students, you can, you should absolutely demand if you see that there's something it's lacking, you can, I think, ask for those changes in the curriculum. And in that way, how can we embed sustainability in businesses? Well, it probably begins with education, changing how, I don't know, we learn about business, changing how we learn about sustainability or economics in universities. Yeah. Perfect. It's very empowering. Yeah. yeah, as students, we do have the power to change. You absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So my next question, which is also quite related, is in the future, how do you think students should go about learning environmental concerns to ensure that their perceptions are accurate and truthful? Yeah. So um, one of the most important things, I think, today, <laughs> in, this, in the world we live today, is to be evidence-based. Like, uh, especially with social media, we tend to um, be surrounded by our own silos, uh, and we tend to, you know, only hear perspectives that reinforce our own perspective, and mm-hmm. I think it's so important to be mindful that we are in these echo chambers a lot of the time, mm-hmm. especially in social media. And try to actually look for the truth and look for the evidence, even if it disproves what you already thought. Like our, you know, worldviews are very powerful. But I think being open to like, uh, it's okay if I change of opinion. If there's new uh, new piece of evidence that comes to me and changes how I view things, it's fine. It's 
totally fine to change our opinion. So I think my advice to students is like be evidence-based. Here at UBC, we have access to so much information, mm-hmm. so many new research. And we actually have access to that, you know, to, to read more, to learn more, and to be open-minded. But at the same time, to also be critical. If a scientific paper tells you something, you know, those are written by humans too mm-hmm. <laughs> and developed by humans. So always, you know, with your critical mind. But for me, like the most important thing is also to find to find the truth, you know, at the end of the day. So yeah, so be open-minded, but look for, for evidence mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. yeah, even if it disproves what you already think. Yeah. Yeah. And to also question things. Because like I know greenwashing is a huge problem mm-hmm. in businesses. And so like when I go shopping and I see like packaging with labels, green labels, I'm always questioning because it's so popular nowadays and it's more of like a branding technique Mm -hmm. rather than like an internal value of Mm -hmm. the company. So it's important to do research before you just like believe that companies are absolutely caring for the environment. Mm-hmm. They really aren't. Yeah, I was reading even like many of the labels are not regulated. So yeah. companies can't say that, you know, oh, this is a natural product. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, there's no yeah. <laughs> requisites or anything really. What is natural? Yeah, what does it mean? Exactly. <laughs> absolutely. So I think, as, yeah, it's like being, you know, critical and doing your work in researching things, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, as you mentioned earlier, um, we're both very fascinated with your experience living and researching in the Amazon rainforest. So, if you could tell us a little bit about like your experience um, teaching and living there, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah. So, so this was a long time ago, <laughs> like twenty, I think almost twenty years, almost twenty years ago. So it was I say to my students in my previous life. <laughs> so yeah. So this is right after I finished my undergraduate. Yes, my undergraduate degree in Ecuador in environmental communication um i i i've always loved nature and i love to be outdoors and tropical nature of i love it so for me it was like oh my god i can i apply to work in this place so it was called kapawi and it's basically it was an eco lodge at that time it was managed by a private company in ecuador but their part the plan of this business was to transfer the ownership from the private company to the indigenous community that live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole idea of this project, so this was in a very isolated part of the Amazon of the Ecuadorian Amazon rainforest. Like you could only get there by plane. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this eco lodge was that uh, to give local communities a source of income from tourism. Mm-hmm. So much of the Ecuadorian Amazon and also this happens in, in Peru as well. Mm-hmm. They are already sort of um, split into oil blocks for oil development. So most of the Amazon, many, much of it is already exploited for oil, mm-hmm. but a lot of it, it has a future plan to be exploited for oil development. And many indigenous communities do not want oil on their lands. Like they definitely don't want it. So this ecology, part of the idea was to give, you know, from indigenous communities like an alternative. So that, you know, they are not open to business for oil and they would do tourism. So what I did, like I worked as a guide, it was like a naturalist guide and I worked for two years in this place. And it was an amazing experience. Like uh, we used to go like usually one month on and then we live like for two or three weeks. But like at that time, we once we were there, you were like completely disconnected from 
the city. You have to travel, at least I think it was like 45 minutes from the nearest town in the Amazon to get to this place where we have no phones, no Wi-Fi, nothing. <laughs> but it was wonderful. Oh my God, I love it. It was great. Like you, you know, you were just there like with nature. I love bird watching. So I was, you know, most of my afternoons just bird watching. We received tourists as well. So mm-hmm. guiding tourists. It was a fantastic experience. And also learning from the local communities. It was wonderful. We used to have like one naturalist guide and one native guide. Mm-hmm. So we complemented each other. Like we usually, the naturalist guide usually provided the scientific knowledge and the um, local guide provided the traditional knowledge. It was amazing. So we, you know, we complemented each other and we, I don't know, for me, I, I was able to really learn mm-hmm. from these people and it was it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the best experiences in my life. <laughs> Have yeah. you been back ever since? To that place, no, like I think after I finished that work, like I went back maybe six months after, mm-hmm. and never again, never again, which is crazy, <laughs> to that section of the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but now, just very exciting, so we have developed a conservation and forest management field course in Ecuador, Ooh. and we are taking the first <laughs> students, 20 students are coming with us, with another professor as well, yeah. in May, <gasps> yeah, and we are visiting the Amazon. That's no, so, so <laughs> Yeah, we are visiting in the Amazon and we are also going like to the coast in Ecuador to the highlands so we will be a little bit of, of all different ecosystems mm-hmm. yeah and it's happening for the first time so it's like a learning researching sort of program it's mostly like a science course on like okay. yeah it's uh, and it's focused on conservation and forest management mm-hmm. yeah so students need, for, when we are in the Amazon they will collect data and actually develop you know like sort of a, a they will have a research paper mm-hmm. on on uh, the ecosystem in the Amazon yeah and they will co- uh, also work on different topics related to conservation and forest management yeah 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 we're going for one month wow That's so wow. exciting <laughs> <laughs> I know I can't believe it that I'm actually taking <laughs> students to Ecuador That's a, for me it's a dream come true it's your home <laughs> it is my home absolutely and I've dreamed of this for a long time oh, and wow. we were supposed to do it in 2020 oh yeah but it's not going to happen so so now it's the first time we're doing it after the pandemic. It's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been lovely having you here. Is there anything else you'd like to say to maybe more for like our business students who listen to the podcast? I think like if you are interested in topics related to sustainability absolutely there's so much like there are courses that you receive enough like uh, check the courses in the faculty of forestry especially first and second year courses they are very popular with our students and also we receive students from across campus and there are other faculties and departments across campus like uh, the department of geography also offers amazing classes so definitely do your research and take this classes maybe they will change your life yeah <laughs> all right perfect i think that's great thank you yeah.